Welcome to PointCast, the podcast where we talk to voters about the issues that most concern them, and we encourage legislators to listen and act. This podcast is brought to you in part by El Yag Productions, a studio for podcasters and musicians, and PointCast News. To listen to any of our podcasts, please go to our website at pointcast.news or visit us at Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to follow us and like us on our Facebook page. Now, in the office today, I have Anthony, uh, a well, a, a very well-written man. Uh, he writes articles for us here. I also have Alex. He was here on the last uh, episode. He, he generally gets a lot of good political opinions. We call him our resident political expert. <laughs> Francine is also with us here today um, to just discuss some of the things that Anthony talks about in his article regarding the primaries and why or why not they might need to change. Right. Now, Anthony, uh, there's a couple of things I want to go ahead and talk about. First being that in the article itself, which you should go read, is definitely well written. Um, again, podcast news, dot news, uh, that it, you kind of detail both in, in discussing the, the primary system, you detail the rise of Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Now I don't need to go through the whole thing here, uh, but go ahead and give me like a brief synopsis as to why the system allowed that to happen. Yeah. So, um, when, when Jimmy Carter was making his run, he was, he was, he'd been governor of Georgia. And uh, nobody knew who Carter was. He, he didn't have any national name recognition. He really didn't have much money. So, due to recent changes in the system, um, he decided to, to target Iowa. It was small enough that he could make an impact with what little money he had. And because it was first, he knew that if he got off to a good start, there was a potential that it could carry over. Right. And that's exactly what ended up happening. He did really well in Iowa won the state, was able to use that as a springboard through the rest of the primary, uh, rest of the primaries, and eventually took them all, all the way to the White House. And it was really unprecedented. Um, for a long time, the, everything was so dominated by the parties right. that if you didn't have a big name, you just couldn't make it. And then Carter suggested that there was another path to the White House, that it didn't have to be an insider thing, that it could be someone from the outside, someone who sort of was kind of a, really kind of a grassroots movement. He suggested that this was possible. And ever since then, people have said, well, like, if Carter can do it, why can't we? So now everyone, that's why they started in Iowa and it sort of reinforced itself over over time. But I, I, I discussed it because it's a legitimate argument for why the system we have now maybe doesn't need to be completely thrown out. Um, people's personal, my personal feelings aside, there is an argument that the current system would theoretically allow someone to start who didn't have big name and big money. And then maybe if they caught fire right, they could change the system. You know, a lot of the proposals of going to a big national day, it would favor, it would in fact favor candidates who had big name and big money from the jump. Right. Um, that would be the trade-off. And so I wanted to emphasize there are trade-offs no matter what you do. A big national system or splitting it up into four big days only instead of the system we have now it would probably sacrifice the sort of as you mentioned off air the cinderella story of carter it, it probably sacrifices that you you lose that as a result and so maybe that's something people are comfortable losing maybe they're not makes sense yeah other thought i'd like to understand what the environment was like prior to carter that allowed that change or 
encouraged the change to take place to how yeah. caucuses were run yeah. because right before he was to run there was a lot of confusion yeah. among democrats and uh, there was just a lot of in the country you know it's after you know people are still reeling from kennedy and king and and then bobby yeah. and and just the overall distrust vietnam so yeah. What was what were caucuses like prior to Carter, and why did they change them then? So, prior to Carter, um, there in you know leading up to that, so leading up to like 1968, which is what you're kind of referring to, there really were no primaries. Um, most states didn't have one at all. They it just wasn't a thing that they, the parties didn't even consider it necessary because it was an insider's game only, and the only thing that mattered was did you have the support from the delegates inside the party. Mm -hmm. And so there in 68, the Democrats ran into a situation where, as you mentioned, you have Bobby Kennedy sort of the, I mean, though he was a Kennedy, he was also seen as the candidate of the people. Mm -hmm. And then you had an insider candidate who had been, um, I, I space on the name. <laughs> he had been the vice, uh, he had been the vice president. And so he was the insider candidate, insider, outsider candidate. And what happened was after Kennedy was assassinated, you ended up um, getting into a situation where you still had the outsider vote and then you had the insider lane. Mm -hmm. And those two classed at the 68 Democrat convention. Mm -hmm. And it produced like this inter-party meltdown. Mm -hmm. It was just a complete, uh, it was a disaster. I mean, it, it was a it was an utter disaster for Democrats. And it was so divisive and so ugly. And it probably cost them the election um, in the fall because the two wings never really reconciled until I think it was it was either September or October before like the leading, you know, more progressive vote had actually got behind the insider candidate, but it was too late by then, mm. right? The party was never able to mobilize behind one candidate. They were never able to come back together as a unity. And mm. so then they lost there in 68. And so they decided in 68, we need to change the system. And, and what they actually wanted to do, and this is what's, this is what's kind of funny they wanted to elevate these voices that had been outside the party. They actually wanted to bring them into the system because they realized that the energy that was behind the more progressive candidate, they realized it was driven a lot by minorities because this was after the civil rights movement, like you mentioned. So there were a lot of minorities who, who said, hey, we don't feel like we're part of this process. There were women who, you know, it was only in the 20th century that women were able to vote. Yeah. <laughs> People kind of forget this. Like, women weren't <laughs> yeah, able to that vote is, until, that like, is a good point. the suffrage movement of the 20th century. Wow. Um, and so you had you had the anti-war votes because you mentioned Vietnam. Right. All these voices wanted to be elevated and have a larger voice in the process. And so And the Voting Rights Act. Right. The uh, voting rights. This is all happening. Like, <laughs> and so they they had the McGovern Commission and they drew up a different system. And that's how we got the primary system that we got, where all of a sudden all these states needed to have primaries and because they wanted to give more of the party a chance to influence the process instead of it just having be an insider's game only. Mm -hmm. Um I brought that up in the article because it's so funny because we think of the system now as being so unrepresentative, but they didn't design it that way on purpose. They were trying to do something good. Mm. They were trying to elevate outsider voices and minority voices and women voices and anti-war voices. They were trying to give them a voice, but unintended consequences being what they are, they ended up elevating Iowa. 
which is maybe not the most representative state. And they weren't trying to do that, right? Like, it's so funny. Like, they weren't trying to elevate this state that doesn't look like the rest of the country or maybe that people think doesn't think like the rest of the country. They were trying to make it an inclusive process. And they couldn't have foreseen, like, oh, what we're really going to do is make it possible to start in Iowa and exclude everyone else. They weren't mm. trying. You know, um, this is what makes systems hard. A lot of the article is about systemic problems. This is what makes systemic fixes difficult, is unintended consequences. You don't know what in 20 years, what the consequences will be of your actions. Mm. You may try to do a good thing, and you may do a good thing. For it is legitimately while. good that Carter was able to start in a small place with limited resources and become president. That's probably good. It, is, it indicates they, they succeeded. They created a more fair system where party voices didn't dominate it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> in 10 or 20 years down the lane, down the road, 10 or 20 years, that had changed. Right. And this is why systemic fixes are, are much more difficult than I think people oftentimes think about. Mm. So, there's Actually, an, oh, so there's an axiom in science. Yeah. And that is, uh, anytime you uh, you have a simple problem and you come up with a simple solution, it will inevitably create a more complicated problem. Yes. And so yes. four or five generations down, yes. you're, you're sitting here going, how do we even grapple with this? Yes, and that's where we, that's so great because that's perfect for where we are now. Yeah. They had a simple problem, they, had, they, they proposed a simple solution, and now they have a much bigger problem. One, I mean, one that we, I'm happy we've avoided it this election cycle. I'll say that. Fair. Uh, when I wrote the article, I was thinking about 68 and how it compares to where we are today with sort of the eye that like, I thought the progressive and the moderate wings were coming to an absolute clash this time. And I thought it would have been uh, a disaster because I thought it would have led inevitably to the reelection of Trump. If the party had fractured at the convention, I think it would have led directly I, I think Trump's odds for re-election go up significantly if the party fractures and is unable to sort of heal the divide. Well, and because I'm, of the contested convention, I thought the contested convention was like, okay, yeah. you can't have a contested convention. I thought it just would have been the party insiders choosing the candidate, no matter who they chose. I thought would have been an absolute disaster. What we have now with it being a two-person, sorry, three-person race. Yeah. Tulsi's <laughs> in it. Tulsi's in it. Sorry, no offense to the Tulsi stands. The one of you who's maybe Tulsi's mom. <laughs> um, I mean, you have two viable candidates. You have three, but you only have two who can win. It'll probably shake out. One of them will have the majority of delegates, probably, barring something really crazy. Um, that party that, that probably saves the party from having a repeat of 68, which is where you have a contested convention that destroys the party for like a whole generation. And then we get four more years of Trump. Right. Now. And then we get four more years of Trump. Now. Uh, that being said, the party has dodged this bullet this year. They can't dodge it forever. No. The the divide in the Democrat Party, eventually you will get a contested convention. It's a real divide. It's a real yeah. divide. They're mm-hmm. going to have to fix. They're probably going to have to fix this primary system somehow. Well, more than that is the philosophies. Yep. This is reminiscent of the introduction of the Tea Party and the core Republican Party kind of poo-pooing the Tea Party as if they were going to go away. And now you see that they're a fixture in the Republican Party yes. in a real way. And yeah. I think that the Dem- Democrats can take a page from that um, experience and really apply it and understand that the, the other voices that are coming up 
are going to be heard. They're, they're yep. backed by millions of people, so they're not just going to go away. Nope. The question is how it's all going to, is this going to be one Democrat party or is there going to be a split? Yep. That's the question that I... Yes. And, um, <laughs> That's probably a different topic for a different show. So. <laughs> well, it, it is, but the degree to that, that's hugely reflected in the primary. Mm. I mean, it, 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 and it we're still showed early up four enough, years man. ago. It yeah. showed up even stronger this time. It's mm-hmm. not going away, like you mentioned. This divide in the Democrat Party is going to be a part of the party for the foreseeable future. And so... So who's our Lyndon Johnson? <laughs> uh, and who's our Carter? Um, mm, that one is it basically Biden and Sanders? Is it? I mean, or I, Tulsi and mm. <laughs> 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 honestly, Tulsi probably would have been a more appropriate cop for like Carter, only because I don't, I don't think of Sanders as being a true. He's not an unknown like Carter. Mm-hmm. The, the, the reason he has been successful is because he had high name recognition and his fundraising has just been outpacing literally all the other Democratic candidates. I mean, he fundraised $40 million in February. That dude yeah. has a bankroll. So, yeah. With no super PAC money. Yeah. With no money yeah. from corporations. Exactly. So, wow. like, he's not. Really? Yeah. 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 He fundraised $40 million in February. Oh, oh I mean, wow. You see the ads on Facebook all stats. the time. I'm, I'm again time. asking for your <laughs> financial <laughs> assistance. My feed is constant. So so he's not really an outsider the way that Carter was. Mm-hmm. He has money. He has high name recognition among the general populace, mm-hmm. specifically among Democrats. Uh-huh. But how did he get there? He was just a senator from Vermont, and he's originally from the Bronx. So I'm just well, like... I, mean, uh, <laughs> I, I think personally that a lot of, a lot of his following came from last election. Right. When I, I I don't really know that I personally know a whole lot about him mm-hmm. before him and Hillary were going. That's at what it. I mean. Yeah. yeah but so, yep. He has historically had the highest of let's say um of all senators. Mm-hmm. He historically has the highest approval rating. Yep. It flutters between let's say it's currently at sixty seven percent, and that's the low point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, um, he has yeah, like like Alex said, he has high approval. Um. But the part you mentioned about running four years ago is relevant. It, yeah. it, a lot of times a failed run can be a springboard to something bigger the next mm. time around. And, and and this was something I would I would offer to Warren supporters, or if your favorite candidate did not win this time around, <laughs> running a presidential campaign is hard. It is extraordinarily difficult in ways that campaigns oftentimes do not anticipate. Is there a difference between the way the Republicans do it and the Democrats do it? Yes. Yes. I mean, one, Republicans have winner-take-all delegate counts, which yes. is and that's gigantic. The, that's the killer. That's, um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, if we, so, um, you know, we are just, uh, they're talking about after California is all said and done, they're going to be effectively tied. Yeah. Oh. If yeah. it was winner take all and Sanders right. wins the first three competitions right. and then gets the big jewel of right. of all of California. Right. Yeah. Doesn't it's a totally matter. different race. It's a totally different race. So the, them doing winner That's take why it's all so confusing is. to voters and trying yeah. to understand and figure this all out. It should be confusing to voters. I mean, because like you look at the results of Iowa <laughs> and you go, wait a minute, what? Who won? <laughs> but he got more votes. But then the other guy got more delegates. 
What happened? Well, I mean, think of it this Welcome way. One moment, literally <laughs> one week, people are celebrating Buttigieg. Yep. Mm -hmm. The next week, people are saying Sanders. And then all of a sudden, Biden, like, what yes. happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally within three weeks. So that type yeah. of primary... Yes type of it and that's a part crazy. i left out of the article i originally was going to write a section about the media mm -hmm. the current structure is self-serving only to the media because it gives them infinite storylines to run for months and months and months and months mm -hmm. so the part i cut out tulsi gabbard i think was the first candidate the first of the big candidates to announce mm -hmm. like tom stayer announced like back in 2017 or something like, <laughs> whatever mm -hmm. so tulsi <laughs> announced and i think she announced late January mm -hmm. of last year. The race has been going at this point for 14 months. It's exhausting to everybody unless you're the media because mm. for 14 months you get to cover candidates. Right. 14 months you get to run storylines. For 14 mm -hmm. months you get to do horse race politics where all you talk about is polls, polls, polls. Mm. People get to do rallies for 14 months and you get to cover those rallies. You get to bring on advisors from campaigns to come onto your morning shows and talk every single week. It is great big business to cover the primaries, but it is exhausting to average people to have this process drag on for 14 months, where the only thing you're seeing all the time is like, well, who's up? Who's down? Go, <laughs> Why are we talking about this? We don't vote until when? Right, yeah. Like if you're in Indiana, we don't vote until what? It's May. 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 Yes. Yeah. So you've been hearing about it from January and you don't vote until May. And that makes people hate well, maybe the person they would have voted for, they can no longer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, one of the fixes I would have proposed is shortening this whole thing. I, one, in part because I think it's exhausting to voters, but also in part. Sanders, Sanders, Warren, Booker, Harris, Tulsi, they, Mayor Pete, they have actual jobs that they've been elected <laughs> to do. <laughs> and it's not run for president. Right, right. You I don't want a bunch of senators having to fly back to vote or miss votes because they need to be on the stump. That's yeah. stupid. Yeah. They should be like, how has Mayor Pete been able to run South Bend? Well, no now he's, he's the former Mayor Pete. Right, right. But like, <laughs> I, I don't want that. I don't want right. my elected officials campaigning for 14 months straight. Wow. That's ridiculous. And was that part of the intention of the change and the, when that change was made to the primary system? Was I, that? No. I mean, well, I mean I how long did they was, think no. the campaign season was going to go? Because that was back in the yeah. day when they had the buttons yep. and the yep. campaign girls and the and yep. the, they had all these different, you know, the bullhorns on top of the cars. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, initially they... You got to go even further back. But like initially they thought campaigning itself was distasteful. Mm, like, yeah, it was. They, they were like, you can't campaign. They're like, no, that's you should never sell yourself to the public. They should make their decision outside of you prostituting yourself. <laughs> we are that so far how, from that. Right. So everybody's on the everybody's on the block now. They're like, you're going to do what? You're going to ride around the country begging voters for support wow. and money? That seems completely distasteful. Why would you do that? So they, they didn't want this thing to happen at all. <laughs> where people campaigned it like no the voters should make their choice in a clean vacuum where they decide free of your annoying influence <laughs> so they didn't even think like we should put a limit of like 180 days that, that sounds so autocratic though right it seems it, it sounds that way and, and, and you know these are trade-offs you know the, the trade-off is if you don't have a time limit mm -hmm. campaigns figure out the earlier the better yeah well yeah 
An extra month of fundraising is, like we mentioned in the case of Bernie, that's an extra 20, 30, 40 million dollars. That buys a lot of ads. So the earlier you start, the more you get to fundraise. I have a side question. Where does the money go if they don't end up running? That's a good question. And I actually <laughs> don't know the answer to this. And I don't know if anyone in the do room know. Like, that, that gets into campaign finance, and it's yeah. complicated, yeah. is the answer. I mean, it's yeah. not like anybody's received their $5 right. back, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, I mean, I, I know there was some talk about Warren having money left over from her last Senate run that she put towards this one. So I'm assuming... They keep it. They, to some degree, they may be able to access it. Well, we'll need to discover that in a later discussion. Like, yeah, that, that's that, is, that is definitely something that should be that's a different, explored. I, yeah, I have different thoughts about what we should do about this system. Um, <laughs> but that's that is a different conversation. But I, there are ways we could. This gets into an even broader topic mm-hmm. um, of the of the finance problems that I have with all candidates. Who I don't think it's good for any candidate to get money from any private citizen out of their own bank account, full stop. Mm -hmm. Because it has an influence, no matter where that money comes from, it has an influence. Mm -hmm. Yes, you say Joe Biden gets money from billionaires, Mm -hmm. super PACs, that's bad. The the thing people contrast it with is like, Bernie gets money from the people and that's good. But, Bernie's money also comes from specific types of people. Mm-hmm. If you're a lower income voter, you're probably not supporting Bernie. Mm-hmm. So the degree to which Bernie's views are... <laughs> Excuse you? No, no, I'm, I, I, hold no, on here. Hold yeah. on. So, so Average donation to Bernie yeah. is, like, is like $5. But So $5 seems like a trivial amount to some people, but it's not to everybody. There are a lot of people for whom they say $5 is, in fact, a non-trivial amount. If you're going paycheck to paycheck, which a lot of people are, $5 is a non-trivial amount of money to you. That's fair. And so effectively, those people also don't have a voice in a system where, where like, if you have disposable income, you can give to a Sanders or any other candidate. But what if you don't? That also shapes a campaign because the Sanders people know where their money is coming from. And they know if we talk about this subject, donations come in. If we talk about this other subject, donations maybe don't come in as much. So they are encouraged by the need of like, we need money mm-hmm. to focus on that's it. Yeah, but isn't that that's a natural thing. That's how it should work. It's but like the if, more money, say, if you limit, if you limit the amount that an individual person can put forth. Yeah. The more popular the thing you're talking about, the more money you get. And therefore, let's say the better idea it is. But is that true if the people who can afford to donate make up a slice and subset of the population? But that's, that is actually not and this is gets into something that I know. I know you. Uh, this is like gets into something I shared on Facebook. And look, we're we're way afield of the strictly primary conversation. So yeah, I know, yeah, Josh, yeah. if you want to bring it back, that's fine. Well, maybe we can save this one. For well, this actually this. this actually does bring up. Um, we there was there was a couple other things yeah. I wanted to to bring yeah. up about the article <laughs> yes. before we kind of got out of hand. Yeah. But there are a few things. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take a yeah. bit and then and then we can go no, and fine. hand it back to you. So one of the things I wanted to touch on in the general sense, and, and you brought it up a couple times yeah. in uh, some, of the, some of the things that you've said, was that 
uh, these most of these problems that we come to find with primaries and a lot of the other things you yep. mentioned, fundraising, all that other good stuff, are systemic. Yes. And that and this is one thing the article puts incredibly well is that we've been treating these systemic problems as if, as if they're yes. you know individual or personal problems. Yes. And I feel like the government does that a lot with a lot of things. Yep. We don't have to get into that either because that's that's another conversation yep. for an entirely different episode. <laughs> yep. But um, one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about because yeah. you, you very you very clearly in the article state that you're you're not necessarily trying to give um, you know an, an exact solution. You know, yep. there, there's not really one fix for this yep. kind of problem yep. given that the problem has so many factors yep. but and you, you were touching on this just a little bit before yeah. I before I kind of ran the conversation no, no. back in you know if, if there was you know a change yeah. that you would present either to you know fundraising in this case that's yeah. what we're talking about right now or the primary system or really any of the the process of the race yeah um what what would you you know in, in your own personal opinion what spin yeah. would you have on that process to change it for the better so I, as I stated earlier, um, I would shorten the whole process in part with an eye towards, I think a shorter process might end up costing less money, which I think on the whole is good. <laughs> Just in general, the, the amount of money being spent on these campaigns, when you look at the combined total is- It's a lot. It's, it's astonishing. It's an astonishing yeah. amount of money that yeah. we're spending on this. So. I think that would help. I think it would help voters specifically um, just be less exhausted by the whole thing. A lot of what's happening with our politics is is, is exhausting. It is 24-7. And I think we've got to move to some sort of reality where voters just aren't feeling beaten over the head with constant, constant, constant all the time. I I mean, I know politics is business now. And I know CNN is competing with a bunch of other news stations and they're competing with what you want to watch on Netflix. They're competing with a bunch of other things for your time. The system we have now is exhausting people for the most important thing that we do, which is elect our elected officials. Yeah. So I, I would, first off, I would shorten the thing. I would move away from the this, I'm a little torn between whether I prefer a national primary day or whether I think we should have like four big days. I think there's pros and cons for each one. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason I don't suggest a specific prescription is because I, I'm, I'm persuaded by arguments in favor of either one. U- ultimately, I think I fall a little more towards like four big days in part mm-hmm. because um, I think it reserves just the, the barest possibility that if someone caught fire on the first day who wasn't necessarily a front runner, maybe they could catapult themselves. It preserves that. It's obviously already weakened because the need to campaign in nine or 10 states makes it much less likely, but it gives it a slim possibility. Mm -hmm. A national primary day, if you look at the Democrats this time around, Mm -hmm. who are the big names and who had the money from the beginning? Mm -hmm. I would say you would have been limited to uh, Warren Biden and Sanders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fair. Those are, even in in this current primary race, those are the only three names that really got thrown around, even among my my political group. In the beginning. There would be no, no one else would have even had a, a fighting chance. There'd be no Mayor Pete surge in the beginning. There'd mm-hmm. be no talk of like, uh, should we care about Kamala Harris? Those people just would have been obliterated. Mm-hmm. They just wouldn't have had the resources to even fight from the start. Mm-hmm. So, now yeah, we've ultimately ended up with Sanders and Biden in the end. But was it good that Mayor Pete had a moment? Yeah, it was good for a variety of reasons, one of which is that being the first gay candidate, it's probably mm-hmm. good to have 
that put as like a a, a plant a seed in people's mind mm-hmm. that this is something in the same way that like it was good to Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about mm-hmm. Barack, people don't often talk about Jesse Jackson set the stage mm-hmm. because it maybe made people just a little more comfortable with like, huh, a black guy. We hadn't thought about that. <laughs> maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe a woman. Right, or maybe a woman. You know, right. we've been playing that seed for a while. Right. <laughs> Very true. Chisholm and others. It's, it's yeah. probably right with people like Chisholm. It's probably good that you have a race contained enough that it allows a seed to really be planted that hopefully grows into something down the line. Um, though, again, I'm not firm on, on, on that one. So I would shorten it. I would favor either national primary or like four big days. I would do some finance reform. I just think you've got to get whatever the fix is. You know, people heard Alex and us, you know, Alex and I talking about it. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fix is, I just think you've got to get away from this. Mm-hmm. Biden and Bernie are going to probably spend. I think Bernie has right now what 180 million. Biden is less because his fundraising is It's more than slow. the people who are voting for them will ever see yeah. in their lifetime. Yeah, this idea that you're going to need, but you know, assuming this thing goes all the way, right? Which is I. I have no reason to think it won't. At this point, it's very likely. The two campaigns will spend at least half a billion combined. That's crazy. That's a, that's that's a ludicrous amount of money. They're yeah. not even run for president. And then you think the presidential race. It's like, oh, let me check my account before yeah. I run for president. <laughs> See if I qualify. And then you think about the presidential race. It's going to be even maybe even a billion yeah. a piece. Wow. The campaigns might spend a billion a piece. And this is in a year where Republicans aren't even having a primary. Yeah. Mm. So. Well, they they have that one guy who's running. He's just not. I mean, yeah. Doing, yeah well, but I'm between just... the primaries and the presidential <laughs> campaign, we're probably talking, I'd say, two point five billion this year between have, two candidates and the presidential race. 2. I have a billion. I have a question. Your article pointed out the bulbs. Yeah. And when you have to you use the analogy yep. of light bulbs versus having yep. to change basically your whole wire rewire yep. the whole system. Yeah. Yeah. What are the light bulbs? So the the, your... the light bulbs in this scenario and the analogy in the article is if one light bulb went out, it's reasonable to think you should change one light bulb. If every light bulb in your house went out at the exact same time, you probably have a bigger problem. Changing one light bulb probably isn't the solution. <laughs> How do you do something with the house? Maybe your power went out, or you like you you need to do something bigger than just change a bulb. Um, in this case, to answer your question, mm-hmm. to me the bulb is when people say, "Well, we need to just make it so Iowa doesn't go first. To me, that's the bulb. We should just put another state as the first state. Nope, that doesn't make it any better because that would no be state, the same problem. no state's representative of everyone. Even the most representative state isn't actually representative of literally everyone, mm-hmm. no matter what you do. And because you have so many other problems, like we mentioned Indiana, we don't go until May. So even if, I don't know, Illinois, Pennsylvania, California. Or maybe just rotate the primary yeah. like they do the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but even in a rotated system, whoever goes late probably doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to voters in Indiana. You know, we're recording. We're here in Indiana. Unless this thing goes, and it is a very, very tight race by May, mm-hmm. the reality is that most everyone in this room has no voice in who our nominee is. We just don't matter because it's normally over by the time it gets to Indiana. Really? Or it's de facto over. Either yeah. way, we don't matter. 
What does that mean practically? It means campaigns might not come here. Mm-hmm. Has anyone, you know, when, when I was writing this, I was looking up trying to see if anyone had a field office in Indiana. Mm-hmm. They do not. <laughs> because they do why not. would they? Because we don't, why would they? <laughs> why would they? That's really sad that we have a system where the, the candidates mm. for president don't even bother opening an office here. We don't even see them. So along similar lines, I want to point out. So um, Bloomberg won one, one yeah. primary. American Samoa. You know why he won American Samoa? Because he was the only candidate to spend significant amount of money right. there. Right. He's like six delegates, hundred thousand, right. you know, hundred million dollars. Right. Okay, done. Right. And so that's even sadder. Right. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. R.I.P. Mike Bloomberg's campaign. Actually, date of death primary. Date of death debate with Elizabeth Warren would be the date of death for that one. So. Changing Iowa to California would be like changing a light bulb. You would okay. still have a huge number of problems that you were basically ignoring in favor of the narrative, which is like, oh, we did something. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you still have the same problem. Mm-hmm. So those are the light bulbs. Mm-hmm. In this case, the, the house is the entire structure of this system. Mm-hmm. And it's going to require real thought. It's going to require getting... I, I so like they did in '68 mm-hmm. with the McGovern Commission. Mm-hmm. I would be in favor of like, look, get some smart people who know what this is, who can think smartly about systemic risk and systemic problems. Right. Think about how to give this system uh, not only change it, but think about how to create a system where change seems like something you should do. Because that's something that we talked about, right? The current system is only 48 years old. Mm-hmm. There's that's a that's one middle-aged person. Yeah. Like there's That's no within one lifetime. Within easily within a lot of people's lifetime. There's no mm-hmm. reason to just think right. it can't be changed. It can yeah. really easily be changed. And yeah. part of what we need to do is realize that change is possible. Mm-hmm. Change is acceptable. Mm-hmm. That sometimes you just have to refresh the processes of democracy. Mm-hmm. You just gotta give them a little upkeep, modernize <laughs> them a little bit. Adapt. <laughs> That's part of the thing, right? You know, they wrote the Constitution in such a way that it it wasn't supposed to be set in stone forever. Right. That's right. why they had amendments to <laughs> amend. <laughs> so, right. It's literally the definition of an amendment. Like, we, you know, they, we can't change the Constitution. What do you think all those amendments are? Not changing the Constitution. What are you doing? <laughs> like, I also, because the original Constitution, my goodness. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a piece of work. So sometimes you just update the processes, refresh things. Hey, guys, it's been 48 years. A bunch of things that happened in the last 48 years. Let's see if we can make this yeah. a tiny bit better. Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Okay. Well, this has been uh, a very enlightening conversation. Um, I, I definitely think that there's there, there's so much to unpack here, um, especially given you know all the all the different talk about how the system should be demolished, how it should be changed. I think I think there's a, a lot of benefit in both keeping what is there but changing it for the better. I think there's a lot of uh, especially younger people who are calling for just literally the abolishing of everything that has come before. But I, I do think, and it is, I think this article does a really good job of explaining that, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be completely changed. There just needs to be, as you said, some upkeep in certain areas, some some fresh ideas in regards to how some of these things should work. So again, if you haven't read the article, go ahead and go to pointcast.news. In fact, go to pointcast.news anyway, because that's where all of our uh, articles and podcasts are. Again, this has been another episode of Pointcast. Thank you, Anthony, Francine, and um, Alex for (laughs) being here. Um, Again, uh, like us on Facebook and, you know, Gail, hey, take us out.